Welcome to Season 8 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast out of Western New York. My name is Laura Evans. I'm a former environmental lawyer, current natural resources planner, animal lover, and gardener. I'm also the author of Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law, which is available as an ebook, paperback, and audiobook. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, living, and interconnected planet Earth. Hello, welcome to the final episode of Season 8 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. Today is Monday, November 13th, and we began this season on June 20th. So yeah, this season has gone for about five months, and I'm really grateful that it happened and that I continued to choose to record it. I have gone through a lot of changes this year, and it has been pretty chaotic on pretty much every level of my life, but I really did prioritize still making this podcast season, and I'm really glad that I did. It's just, it's become an anchor for me and a way to be creative in audio format that I really love and it definitely brings me a lot of joy and energy and an excuse to connect with people who I might I wouldn't normally connect with all the time. So yeah, I just want to express how much gratitude I have for this podcast, for everyone who's listening and all of the people who agreed to be on this podcast with me. So this is the season eight wrap, and that means I do this every season. I go back and from the beginning of the season and go through episode by episode what I recorded, who I talked to, and why, and then sort of touch on some themes, how, you know, the intentions went for this season, things like that. And I always conclude with some sort of additional piece of information. And for this episode, I'm going to be talking about the stamp development that is happening in Genesee County in New York State, right next to the Haudenosaunee Reservation, the Tonawanda Seneca, and why that is such a big deal, um, why it's such a problematic environmental issue, environmental justice issue. And I just, I'm going to read an um, an article, a op-ed that Robin Wall Kimmerer recently published on November 1st in Yes Magazine. And yeah, this is, I mean, if you're in Western New York, this is a very local issue, but it is also a statewide issue. It involves New York State very heavily. And then also the entire United States, because the Department of Interior and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, they are involved as well because this particular development requires a pipeline to go through the Iroquois National Wildlife Refuge. And yeah, this is, it involves treaty rights and endangered species and ecosystems and what you know, how do we um, how do we treat the remaining land that is still indigenous territory here in the United States? It has been totally decimated and decreased more and more and more over time. And this is one more um, one more strike at that. And yeah, I found out about it um, 
earlier this year, maybe it's even been a year now, but I did submit comments a few months ago and now it's heating up again and people are talking about it. It's been going on the whole time. I just haven't had the ability to fully pay attention, but I do want you all to know about this stamp development site and how how big of a problem it is for indigenous peoples and everyone that lives in New York State in the United States, um, we're all connected and this matters for all of us. So before we get into that, I'm, I'm going to read her article at the end of this episode. I do want to talk about the different episodes that I published this season and why and, you know, just kind of what I learned, touch on it so that, you know, you can listen to this episode, get a little bit of a flavor of what the season's been like, and then go back and listen to whichever episodes might grab you and grab your attention and you might want to learn more. So I started out, yep, in towards the end of June with the season eight welcome. And I just gave some life updates about what had been happening with me at the time. I had recently come back from Austin, Texas, and I went to the Highest Self podcast weekend. Um, that's a podcast that I really like to listen to. And there was an in-person event. And that was really powerful with a lot of really great information about um, about creativity, about being your highest self, what that means. And also a lot of looking back on, you know, your childhood as well as your teenage years and finding out how that has impacted you as a person today. So I've you know, when you look at um, trauma healing and a lot of nervous system healing modalities, they often talk about the inner child. But this was the first time that I really explored my inner teenager, which is just fascinating to think about the things that happened to me and how I showed up and how that still impacts me today. So I encourage you to you know, think about your own life and how that was for you and, you know, where you might still be holding on to experiences that you had as a teenager and how, yeah, how that impacts you today. So I did also set some intentions for this season, which connected to my book, Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. I have some sustainability themes in that around cooperation, collaboration, communication, and just really setting the intention for that this season. I I definitely followed the spirit of those themes, but I re-listened to the welcome episode recently and I had all these plans to like go on other people's podcasts and share all this information and I definitely didn't go all the way with that intention. I was not on other people's podcasts or even really reached out. So I do still have work to do on all of that. But as the season went on, I did start going back to school, back to graduate school to become a certified teacher in New York State for elementary school. So that has really changed my trajectory and changed how much time I was able to spend on I, I was still able to record as many episodes as I always do this season, but yet again, my my bigger block is to then reach out and share more. So that is an ongoing intention with communication and collaboration. But I really was able to collaborate with a lot of powerful people, especially towards the beginning of se- the season was all women. And they're just women that have been doing incredible sustainability work and I'm really grateful that they were all on the podcast this year. 
kind of rounded out with some men, but it really did start out. I think, yep, most of the episodes are with women. And yep, that just sort of organically happened. So the first uh, interview, second episode of the season was with my cousin, Susie DeVoe. She has the business Rainbow Spirit Healing, and she is a pranic healer. So we go into what pranic healing is, what that means. She grew up in Maryland, which is, you know, I spent a lot of time as a kid growing up and visiting family in Maryland. But now as an adult, she lives in Denver, Colorado, which has a pretty big pranic healing community. My other cousin, her brother is there. And it's a really, you know, it's a good energy, I would say, and a really good community for just growing her business and her experience as a pranic healer. So we talk a lot about her journey, how she's come to the place where she is, what pranic healing is, how it can benefit you. I have to say I'm I'm in the middle of a treatment with her right now. She kind of does packages of three, which I think, you know, it's not just like a one and done thing. It's kind of, uh, it's better to do it a couple of times and yeah we do this remotely and you know it seems a little wild that you could be um, having some sort of you know healing experience with someone who is in a different time zone than you but through the power of zoom and just you know our minds it really is I have this is not the first time that I have done pranic healing with her and I always experience a really powerful reset in my life and so yeah I'm in the middle of that right now and Jeff definitely encourage you to check it out um we also talk about one of these meditations that's a part of the pranic healing um modality and it's called the meditation on twin hearts And that is something that I did every time before I recorded the audio version of Silent Seasons. And it's this really, it's a really powerful meditation to um, really meditate on the entire world. You're sort of visualizing the entire world in front of you as you meditate. And that has brought a lot of peace to me. And I definitely encourage you all to check it out. Um, yeah, the Twin Hearts meditation is is really great. And yeah, so that episode was a really nice way to kick it off. She was visiting, you know, us, our family here in Western New York over the summer. And I've just really admired her ability to do what feels right for her, go and you know, travel and chase after her curiosity and bring back a lot of important information that is definitely not mainstream in Western society, but can really have a powerful impact on how we show up and how we heal. Okay, the next episode was a solo episode that I did called Gardening Love. And that is really what it is. It's a monologue about me and my love of gardening, my experiences with gardening, my intentions about gardening, and why I think it is so important for sustainability. I have definitely talked about this many times on the podcast, but I wanted it to be a standalone episode of plants and herbs and why I think it is so important for everyone to grow something and bonus points, you know, up level if you also cook or, you know, make tea out of the plants that you grow. I 
I can't say enough about how connected we all are to the earth and how, you know, when we are, you know, engaging in destructive practices to the earth, it, it always shows up in human beings as well. And I think plants are really powerful allies in in this this realm, this place that we're all at. And I really just can't emphasize enough how important it is to garden, pay attention to plants and form, it sounds wild, but really forming a relationship with them. And, you know, this gardening, it's very seasonal, of course. Um, you can have some indoor plants and I, I like that, but really being with plants through the seasons, you know, growing like crazy in the spring, um, being in the summer heat and, you know, producing fruit and flowers and then, you know, watching them die down in the fall as you harvest, prepare for this quieter time in winter. It's really, it's really powerful and important. And I encourage you to listen to that episode for a little bit more information about what I think about gardening. And so the next episode, the the gardening episode really sets it up for um, episode four, which is Primeval Forest Nursery. And I speak with the um, two main women behind that business, Katie and Selena. And we talk all about indigenous plants. We talk about, yeah, why, why they are so important to be growing wherever you live. Um, there's definitely you know, just kind of a, a thing in our society about, you know, the newer varieties or the more colorful or, you know, something flashy, different. But the plants that are growing here are growing here for a reason. And they are important to the ecosystem. They often, you know, create more biodiversity. They don't outcompete each other and totally grow over each other like a lot of the um, a lot of the invasive species do. And yeah, Katie does a really good job of explaining, you know, just how to start out as a gardener, what to do. Don't go wild and try to like do everything overnight. It's really a process of learning. And so that is a really great episode for just learning a lot more about plants. Um, Katie really knows a lot about plants and gardening and how to how to do it right and how to yeah set yourself up for success. So that was a really fun episode. I've I've known Katie for a number of years, and it's been really fun to watch her grow, watch her launch this business, and have a brick and mortar this year. And yeah, I'm just really excited for her and Selena to be building this beautiful business that I am going to continue going to every year. I Yeah, it looks like next year I'm going to have a more permanent place to be living with um, a lot of opportunity for gardening, and I'm very excited to be adding a lot more indigenous plants to that to that place. So, yeah, speaking of places and really, um, yeah, settling into a place that feels right, the next episode is with Maria Casey, and she is the owner of Mother Tree Apothecary and also has an Instagram handle called Unearthing Venus. And Maria does a beautiful job of talking about motherhood and connections to nature, connections to community. We have a really good conversation about the importance of healing the nervous system around other people, nature, animals, rather than in isolation. 
even though, you know, that is my default is to go into isolation when I'm stressed or overwhelmed. My nervous system is, you know, <laughs> operating at high, high levels. And I just, yeah, I want to be alone, but that is not how we heal. We really do heal together and just, yeah, her insights and knowledge. And she just, she really knows a lot about plants, their effects on the body, and then has really embraced um, supporting mothers um, before they have a baby and then also after. And yeah, the importance of community, again, not doing things alone. So I, yeah, she's been making, she's been still organizing a lot of community events and ways for people to connect with one another. And I encourage you to check out that episode and then learn more about her uh, on Instagram as well as her website. All right. So we're getting into halfway through the season, the middle of the season. And the next episode is with Kelly Camacho. And she is an organizer with the Teachers Union here in New York State. And I've known her through community organizing, climate justice organizing. And she's someone that I really look up to, even though she is younger than me. I feel like she's just got such a powerful leadership presence and her ability to articulate what is wrong with Western colonialism and how much it harms everyone, especially people of color. She, um, she has family. Um, she's from, well, she is not from, but her family, a lot of them originate in Puerto Rico. So she is Latina and has, and she also has a background in environmental studies. That's what she went to college for. And so very much like me who also studied environmental things, although she she figured it out much quicker than me. She went right from her college degree of environmental studies into environmental organizing and now is more in a labor organizing space. But I really just look up to Kelly so much and the way that she is able to yep, move people and bring people in and support others and as well as animals and the earth is wonderful. She has a website called Como Se Dice Hippie that I've always really admired. And so, yeah, we also, in this episode, we talk a lot about, you know, her background, how she grew up, her trajectory to get to where she is, as well as she took a trip this this year to Cuba. And I really wanted, that was, I mean, I've wanted to talk to her anyways, but being able to talk to her about her trip to Cuba, what she saw, and how because Cuba is not allowed to do business with the United States, they have had to work around and they've had to use what they have, collaborate with other people that will collaborate with them. And they've been able to sustain themselves in ways that, you know, we're just not able to do here in the United States when it's just so easy to order whatever we want. We have whatever supplies we want on hand. Um, It's very, very different there. And the amount of community, the community gardens that she saw was really, really exciting to hear about and you know, what she learned from that trip and how she wants to use that trip to expose more people to different ways of looking at the world besides what's here in the United States is really great. And I, yeah, I I learned a lot from talking to her. I always learn a lot from her. And 
up another I I recommend you listen to every episode so I'm just gonna keep saying that all right uh after I interviewed Kelly the next person I interviewed was Jenny Flanagan and that was specifically about acupuncture and so Jenny Flanagan is my acupuncturist I also I go to Buffalo Alternative Therapies on Niagara Street and that's where Jenny works and I also in the very first season I believe it was the first season yeah I interviewed Craig Labati who is the founder owner of Buffalo Alternative Therapies so he's also my acupuncturist but I've been just based on how the schedule is and when I go Jenny has been seeing me more and I really love her perspective and the way that she has moved into acupuncture. We also talk about the nervous system and what neurodivergence is in this episode and how that has impacted her growing up. We both grew up in Hamburg, New York, which is a suburb of Buffalo and it's a very white community and how I I really appreciate how Jenny articulates like the privilege of being there and then also the problems of growing up in that environment and the rigidity of it and how it has impacted her today. But we really do spend most of our time talking about acupuncture and community acupuncture specifically. I talk about my experiences with it, her experiences treating people, and yeah, what she has seen, what she's experienced herself. So I, I've i been getting acupuncture now for over 10 years, and it has been my like go-to consistent healthcare regimen that I, it's more of a maintenance thing. And then when I am super stressed out or I did get super sick or something, yeah, happened to me that is a big transition, I will go and get more acupuncture during those times because it really does help uh, calm me down, regulate my body in ways that I I do not understand. But I can't say enough, it, it really has been so wonderful in my life. And yeah, I'm really glad that Jenny came on. She does work at Buffalo Alternative Therapies, but she also has her own business where she can treat people one-on-one. And I highly yep, recommend finding her on Instagram and listening to the episode so that you can get more of an idea of you know, what it's like and how to how to get treated yourself. Okay, after that is an episode where Sarah Sorcy, she's a community herbalist and owner of Sweet Flag Herbs, also a good friend from all the way back to high school. She interviews me about my book, about my pivot to working in, um, to becoming a teacher, and yeah, just what this year has been like for me. I, I do like flipping the microphone once in a while. I, I know I do share a good amount about myself here, but there is something different when someone else is asking you the questions. And Sarah is someone who, she's just a wonderful listener. <laughs> and always, every time I'm around her, like I feel more calm and able to share. I've noticed that when she's around other people, they kind of show up in the same way. So I, I'm really grateful for Sarah for just being such a good friend, a supporter of this podcast, supporter of my book. She she was one of the early editors. And yeah, I, I spend a lot of time talking about both the book, my experiences with 
sharing it, what's happened, and then also teaching and where that's going for me. So yeah, if you want more information about what's going on in my life and then just hearing a, a wonderful person um, be able to lead through questions, um, I also recommend you check out that episode. All right, we're kind of winding down to the last two. And so, yeah, so far it's been all women. And now we're going to flip over to the more masculine episodes, if you will. Uh, at least they are, um, yep, two, two men that I interview for the last two episodes. So the first one is called Madison Rich's Home Energy Tips. And this is really exciting for me. I have been waiting to, or I don't know, just... I've been planning to interview Madison for a long time because he is my brother-in-law and I have been watching him over the past like four-ish years. He he and my sister bought a house in the village of Hamburg. It's a small um, Cape Cod. It's a small house that I think it was built, he says it in the episode, I think it's the 1940s and he's been he himself is a civil engineer and works on infrastructure projects for work, but in his spare time, he has taken the deepest dive of anyone I know into home sustainability and how to save energy in your home. He's someone who, I think he also, he did study environmental engineering um, in college as like a what is that called? A minor. Um, so it wasn't his like major, but then he took a, a lot of classes so that he knows a lot about environmental engineering. And he's had a deep concern about climate change and its impacts for a long time. And for him, it's all about the numbers. And it just seems at this point to be a no brainer. I agree with him to really change a lot. There's so much technology out there and there's so many ways to sh ways to retrofit your home, build your home from scratch, um, the appliances that you use, the insulation that you use, what you set your thermostat at. There's just a lot of ways to reduce the greenhouse gas consumption of your house. It's not all about, it is a lot about carbon dioxide, but it's not all about carbon dioxide. And so he also talks about methane and how that is the primary greenhouse gas that gets emitted from natural gas. And so, yeah, back back in the day when I was in law school, I was hearing about natural gas as a bridge fuel, you know, oh, it burns cleaner than coal and things like that. But the it is a much more potent greenhouse gas, which means it traps a lot more heat than in other ones, including carbon dioxide. So yeah, natural gas, not a bridge fuel. And there, but at the same time, there is a lot of really wonderful technology out there, including um, air source heat pumps. And, and then there, we didn't mention this in the episode, we meant to, but there's also a way to do your laundry. There's a washer dryer combo that's all electric, and it's just so much more efficient than having your traditional um, natural gas based washer and dryer. And we were just talking about this recently. It's so interesting how a lot of these technologies have been around a long time. Like air source heat pumps, they're they're the units in the hotel room that you know you can make it air conditioning or heating. And it's I, I haven't really traveled that much in Europe in a long time, and I wasn't paying attention when I did. But 
yeah, a lot of other countries, a lot of places have ha- have been using this technology for a long time. And here in the United States, we are slow to catch up. And so, yeah, as you're looking at new ways to show up in this time of climate change, if you are concerned, there are like pretty significant ways that you can um, you can do different projects on your house to help with all of that. I guess one last thing I'll say, and I I don't think we talked about this in the episode, but your house really is part of the energy infrastructure of of wherever you live. It's the end point. You know, if your house is leaking a lot of heat or cool and you're needing a lot of energy, like that that changes the infrastructure system. So, and I also, I will say this here and I say it a number of times in the episode, but this isn't to say that individual actions are going to change the trajectory of climate change. They, it's just, it's a system, a system, eh, systemic issue. These are big systems that are in place, but we are in this moment of shifting systems and the more people that are paying attention to it, the more people that have the ability to make these changes, not everybody does. I mean, I'm not a homeowner. I, you know, I'm, I just don't have the ability to make a lot of the changes that we talk about. But I also know a lot of people who are homeowners that do have income and pensions and ways to actually use their money to make these changes. And I just deeply encourage those people to do so. And yeah, I will leave it at that. I, this episode's really great. I hope in the next season we have a part two because there was more to talk about. But I I also have been joking that Madison, it's not even a joke. It's it's great. He's definitely my, he's number one, my most prepared podcast guest. And it makes sense. I mean, we do have more of a technical lesson to be teaching people, but really he has studied this. He's got the numbers. He's got the references behind it. So if you're, and I, I do, I have been finding this episode to be really approachable. So if you're curious and want to learn more, definitely check out Madison Rich's Home Energy Tips. Okay, we're on to the last episode of the season, besides this one, and I am very excited that this happened. It is John Washington's 2023 ballot review and check-in. We just recorded and published this a few weeks ago. Election day was, it'll be a week ago yesterday, but we did publish it a few weeks before to give people a chance to listen to it before they voted, and This is something that John and I have been doing almost every year since 2018. We download a ballot from, well, in previous years, it's just been Buffalo, New York. But this year, we downloaded a ballot for Buffalo and the town of Hamburg because he's living in Buffalo. I'm living in Hamburg. And even though these two places are both in Erie County, they're both in western New York, they're very different. Um, The city of Buffalo, it's a city. It's an urban area. And the town of Hamburg is a small town, 98% white, very suburbs. It's hard to even call it a suburb because it really is like a small town, but, you know, both. Um, And so we go through the ballot for this 2023 election and talk about the different positions on the ballot and how they impact people's lives, as well as the different parties that are involved. Because when you look at a ballot, you can vote for different people on different party lines. And so just trying to give people more information and allow them to be more prepared 
when they vote. I, this year was a pretty depressing ballot. There, This was, you know, what they'd call like an off season. I mean, that one thing that really came up in this episode is how big of a deal 2024 is for an election. I mean, it is the presidential election, but also senators, U.S. representatives, um, I forget who else will. Hopefully we will do a ballot review next year and really get into it. But this year was a quieter year, but it still has a big impact. There were a lot of county legislature seats. Um, the Buffalo City Council was all up for re-election, as well as the town of Hamburg uh, board had um, positions on the ballot. So it really was... I. I didn't look up the numbers, but it was a very low turnout for voting. I did see that the we didn't cover this area, but the town of Chictawaga, the supervisor, I believe, I mean, maybe the final count is different, but the day of, I believe he won by like 36 votes. So voting, you know, it does get frustrating. I'm frustrated. I don't enjoy going when I don't have very good choices. I'm not very compelled, but it still matters and it's still important for even just showing, you know, people that are involved in politics that people are paying attention. You know, this year being such a low turnout, it's yeah, it is depressing, but I know that next year more people will be paying attention and I really do hope that they are motivated to show up to vote and yeah, get there. Early voting is always an option. People in New York, that's new for New York, so it's still not very popular, but I don't know. There is something about voting on election day that I like. Um, but yeah, however, you can get to the polls and pay, have at least a little bit of time set aside where you can learn about the candidates and the positions so you're not just totally overwhelmed when you get there. That was the first half of that episode. I think we spent about 30 minutes on the ballot. And then the second half of the episode is John talking about different things that he's been paying attention to this year. He talks about um, the BRICS conference, which you'll have to listen to it to understand more. I, It's a conference between different countries in the world, like Russia, China, India, not the United States. And you, know, you never hear about that on mainstream media here in the United States. And I had no idea that it existed, but it's just good to know that there are things, other things happening in the world that, you know, you don't always know about. And so I really do appreciate John for all of the ways that he shows up in the world, the things that he pays attention to. And I, I'm constantly learning from him. We also talk about the Barbie movie and his thoughts on that. Oh, that's something that Kelly and I talk about as well, the Kelly Camacho episode. So yeah, if you watched Barbie and you want to hear um, more opinions about it, I think more, I don't know, just people you wouldn't expect to see the Barbie movie. Not that that's, I don't know. I don't like that I said that, but it's just, it's really good to hear different perspectives on it. And I I love talking to people about the about the Barbie movie. I think it's a phenomenal, uh, yeah, just a, a cultural like point of connection that you can learn a lot from people over. So yeah, if you've seen it, uh, strike up a conversation with someone else. Yeah, the role the role of women in the world and how that has evolved and the role that Barbie has played in it is quite amazing and something I didn't really think about until I saw the movie. Okay, that is everything. That is season eight. Those are the episodes that I covered this year. And 
you know, I, I think I did a good job of yeah, just talking about all of it. I don't need to harp on it too much more. I'm going to switch over to um, stop the stamp work in a second. But I will say the overall themes of this season eight are you know, holistic health care alternatives to what you would normally get from Western medicine and just being able to, yeah, not just like go to the doctor because you're hurt or you're sick, but really like how do you maintain your health holistically over time? Also, plants came up a lot for me in this uh, season. I, yep, it's very interesting how my relationship with plants just deepens and deepens every year. I mean, I've been now making my own garden or at least having some form of a plant in my life for the past like over a decade. And yeah, I just, I, I love them. I think they're super important. They have so many different um, benefits and there's just this mutual relationship between humans and plants that cannot be overstated. Also community, that has been a big theme in so many different ways, like plants as community, uh, people as community, the importance of healing your nervous system in community. And I really feel like after COVID and the pandemic, we've, you know, we were pretty isolated before, but it's just really upped, upped that level of isolation. And so as I continue to grow and change and age and everything and just looking at the world and how much, you know, climate change is impacting people, environmental devastation, and then just like psychologically and mental health wise, like a loneliness epidemic. I, I struggle with building community, maintaining community. And, you know, I really do believe it ebbs and flows and there's no right way or wrong way to do it as long as you're continuing that intention of building it. I think that's really the key and to not shame anyone or get down on anyone about what's happened in the past, but to really move forward because we do need each other um, to heal, to grow, to, and that, I mean, speaking of plants and gardening, that's something that I've really found. You can't just have your own garden. That's why community gardens are so important. Or at least if you do have your own garden, growing things that you grow well, and then sharing something with your neighbor that they grow well. And yeah, it's not a solo activity at all. Yep, another theme here in season eight and this entire pot, all of these are themes of the whole podcast, but sustainability, that's a big one. Um, silent seasons, chasing sustainability through the law. What does that mean? How do we continue to sustain ourselves, sustain the earth, um, sustain each other over time when we are continuously being bombarded by violence, by um, climate change, just so many different changes, mental health issues, uh, food shortages. It, the list goes on. Um, things are so expensive these days. How do we sustain ourselves? And so really continuing on with sustainability and how we can not only sustain ourselves but future generations, I think is so, so critical. The last theme that I want to touch on is education and teaching. So this has been like the big reveal, the big pivot of my life uh, this year in 2023. And that is, even though I've been thinking about it now for a couple of years, I have 
made the decision, made the move, and I really am going back to school to be a public elementary school teacher. And I am almost done with my first full semester at Buffalo State University in Buffalo. And I'm taking, it's a really cool program where people who already have a college degree not in education can take the necessary classes to get their both their master's in education as well as their teaching certificate in New York State. So I have been learning, you know, going back into academia and seeing so many, you know, issues and opportunities there, learning about what what elementary education looks like these days, especially since COVID. It's really, it, it can be quite overwhelming. Sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? But I just, every time I look back on what lights me up, what gives me joy, what makes me want to work harder, it is youth and children. And I know that the public education system has wild things happening in it right now. And, you know, I, I think it has always, but especially now. But still, like, it, it is so important. And I just haven't been able to do the service-oriented or impact-oriented things in environmental nonprofit spaces that I've wanted to. And so this just, this lights me up and I'm following that light. So yeah, education and teaching has definitely come up a lot this season of the podcast. And for the first time, I would say, um, in this, since I've been doing the podcast, I, yep, since 2017. Okay, so we are at the end of reflecting on the season. That is over. And now I want to talk about the stamp uh, industrial development site in Genesee County. And it is a environmental justice issue, an indigenous people's justice issue. And yep, we are all here on this earth. We're all a part of the earth. It impacts us all especially if you're in Western New York or New York State. But like I said at the beginning of this episode, the U.S. Department of Interior and Fish and Wildlife Service is involved. So anyone in the United States or the world, whatever you want, can comment on this issue. This this is important. Um, this is, I, yeah, I. the more I think about it, the more it's just like, it's just this, intersection of so many different things, especially the way that European settlers have treated and harmed and just just erased so much of indigenous people and culture in North America. And now here is one more uh, strike at that. And so I... I don't, I mean, I have learned about the project. I understand some of it, I, but I just wanted, instead of me talking about it anymore, I wanted to turn it over to Robin Wall Kimmerer. She is the author of Braiding Sweetgrass. Uh, I did use one of her quotes in my book, Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. She is an incredible um, plant scientist and also indigenous woman who has been able to merge plant science and then plant um, medicine and more of the indigenous roots of plants together. And yeah, just 
just recently, less than two weeks ago, her um, essay was published in Yes Magazine. So I'm about to read it to you to close out season eight. Stand for Indigenous Land Justice, Stop Stamp by Robin Wall Kimmerer, November 1st, 2023. New Yorkers owe an unpaid debt to the Indigenous nations whose lands we occupy, and today we have a chance to take a stand for justice. Maybe you know that the Haudenosaunee now live on tiny scraps of their original homelands from which they were forcibly removed. Maybe you know the painful history of how dams, toxic waste dumps, and industrial pollution have diminished and degraded reservations in New York State. Maybe you think illegal land-taking is only a remnant of a shameful colonial past. Maybe you think environmental justice means something in an enlightened state like New York. In the case of the Tanawana Seneca and the Western New York Stamp, Western New York Science and Technology Advanced Manufacturing Park, you'd be wrong. I recently had the privilege of walking through the big woods with Tanawana Seneca Nation citizens and fellow scientists under a towering canopy of immense oaks, maples, and basswoods. On that lush summer day, thrushes, thrashers, and rare warblers sang above us as we traipsed through ferny glades the earth soft with centuries of leaf fall and carpeted with wildflowers, more diverse than I've seen in many years of botanizing. So rich is this territory that Chief Kevin Jonathan calls it one of the most important hunting and gathering areas for the entire Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Side note, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy is the Western name is Iroquois Confederacy. So, Signs of wildlife were everywhere, and the deer eyed us warily, as if to ask, what kind of human are you? That's a good question. At night, the air rings with peepers calling, toads trilling, and the soft, low hoot of endangered short-eared owls. Listen hard, and you might hear the ceremonial songs from the Longhouse, songs of gratitude for the land that has cared for the Seneca people since time immemorial. This land is our way of life, said Chief Roger Hill, as we waded into a clear, bright stream. It is everything to our people. It's all we have left. Today, these precious lands are threatened, and both state and federal agencies are complicit in the destruction. When we walked through this old-growth forest to the edge of the reservation, the trees ended abruptly, and we were greeted by the looming presence of enormous reactor domes from the manufacture of hydrogen fuel. Bulldozers, subsidized by your tax dollars, are revving their engines and spewing stink into the flower-fragrant air to construct a proposed industrial park that could destroy it all. New York State has thousands of acres of industrial wastelands in abandoned developments that would be highly suitable for such a project. But instead, the Western New York Stamp Project in Genesee County is being sited right on the border of the Tonawanda's pristine big woods. While there is just one fully confirmed tenant so far, others may include distribution warehouses and industrial manufacturers. Stamp has been referred to as land development, 
but the more accurate term is habitat destruction in one of the last unbroken landscapes in western New York. Yet Stamp is proposed in the heart of one of New York State's most important conservation landscapes, surrounded by species-rich, federally and state-protected wildlife areas, including the Iroquois National Wildlife Refuge, as well as the Big Woods. Biological surveys, in addition to indigenous knowledge, have revealed that the Big Woods is home to threatened species as well as a threatened culture. What kind of human thinks building a mega-industrial site here is a good idea? Many citizens of the Tanawana Seneca Nation rely on the Big Woods for subsistence hunting, fishing, and gathering of traditional medicines. It is a place where traditional lifeways are passed from generation to generation. The Seneca have been caring for this place in an unbroken line from before written history in the face of uncountable threats from settler society. Today, families are fed from this beloved landscape, which keeps an ancient culture thriving. It is heart-wrenching to consider the irreparable cultural harm of building an industrial park on the Big Woods border. Chief Jonathan stated that if this project goes forward, we'll have irreversible damage to our way of life. Habitat destruction and environmental degradation related to industrial development at Stamp proceeds step-by-step with the issuance of required government permits. This spring, the United States This spring, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service officials courageously admitted that they had failed to consult with the Tonawanda, as required by law, before granting a permit for a pipeline through the refuge for Stamps Industrial Wastewater. The agency ordered consultation with the nation and an assessment of the environmental and cultural impacts of the Stamp Pipeline Project. This seeming victory for land and people was, however, short-lived. Days later, in a stunning reversal, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service overturned their own ruling, and in mid-July, heavy equipment rolled through ancestral Seneca territory to the edge of the refuge and gouged into the earth as drilling for the wastewater pipeline began. Now, the nation has learned that pipeline drilling caused a spill of hydraulic fracking fluid within the refuge in mid-August, just days into construction. Incredibly, while this spill was reported to the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, construction activities were allowed to continue. Another spill occurred in early September, at the same time that sinkholes began to appear along the pipeline route. The nation was not notified of either spill until the local media reported on them. If this construction continues, it would be an immense injustice to Mother Earth, said Subchief Scott Logan, one of many nation leaders and citizens who have spoken out in opposition to Stamp as a violation of their sovereign rights and their cultural covenant to care for the land. Construction activities have been temporarily halted within the refuge and Orleans County due not only to the spills and sinkholes, but also to a temporary restraining order issued by a state court in a lawsuit filed by Orleans County where the stamp developer hopes to discharge the wastewater. This temporary pause is not enough. The Tanawana Seneca Nation has demanded that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service withdraw the right-of-way permit and conduct consultation and a full environmental review. 
To date, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has refused to do so. State and federal programs trumpet their commitment to environmental justice, but fail to protect these traditional Haudenosaunee people and the remnants of their precious homelands. Officials with the power to temper this assault on Tanawanda's territory, culture, and environment instead fall in line to promote the steady march of industrialization and environmental destruction. What kind of leaders are they, and what kind of citizens are we? Will we perpetuate the shameful practices of the colonialist past or take a stand for justice at last? Interior Secretary Deb Holland and New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner Basil Sagos, will you use your courage to reshape this age-old narrative of unjust taking from indigenous nations? If the state and federal governments truly stand behind their commitments to environmental justice, then we should stand with the Tanawanda for the big woods and for indigenous land justice. Okay. She said it much better than I ever could. And yeah, I am just blown away that this project is happening. I shouldn't be blown away. I I know this stuff happens a lot. And it is, yeah, why I'm going back to school to be a teacher. And I really encourage everyone to follow up on this issue. There are ways to, you know, speak up with the Department of the Interior, Deb Holland, the New York State Governor, Kathy Hochul, the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner, Basil Sagos. It's, yeah, this needs to stop. And I hope that it does. I will continue to write comments. I, I hope to be more present in person on this issue But yeah, I just wanted to bring it all to your attention. This is happening right now, and it needs a lot more people to raise their voices about it. It is, yep, an environmental justice issue. I I will say I did write comments a few months ago to the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, and these, um, the Tanawana Seneca of the Haudenosaunee, these are um, designated environmental justice areas, according to New York State, both potential environmental justice areas, which is an older designation, as well as the new disadvantaged communities designation. So, you know, New York State, Kathy Hogel, people are saying that they care about environmental justice communities, and then this happens. So, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast and being a part of season eight. I am excited to press pause. Uh, you know, this this season is over. About to head into winter, take some rest, and then I will reemerge in the spring with season nine. And yeah, we'll see where I'm at at that point. Um, yeah, I really yep care a lot about all of these issues, keeping things alive is something that has continued to keep me going through all of these years. And I only want to continue sustaining it and growing it. So if any of you want to leave a comment, review, talk to me, you have a question, my website, www.keepingthingsalive.org is a great place to start. And yeah, thank you so much for listening and I will be talking to you next year. 
Thank you for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. For more information about sustainability, this podcast, and my book, Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.